Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Kristen Zhivago with us here today, who is the president of Zhivago Partners, a digital marketing management company that serves both B2B and B2C clients in a variety of industries. Her digital agency is comprised of a core infrastructure team and a variety of specialists in various digital methods and media. Kristen's career began in the high-tech industry. She and her husband, through their high-tech agency, helped introduce and market all of the technologies we take for granted today. When the web emerged as a commercial medium, she branched out into other industries and reinvented herself to become a revenue coach, helping CEOs and entrepreneurs sell the way her customers want to buy. Her five-star book, Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy, was chosen by Forbes as one of the top sales and marketing books. Kristen speaks frequently on the subject of customers buying process, which she was one of the first to identify as being key to selling to today's customers, and about building your business to complete effectively in our fast-changing, hyper-competitive markets. Kristen, welcome, and thank you so very much for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, I would echo Forbes' sentiments with this book, and I want to ask you about your your reasoning behind writing it. I, I've read your book, and I was just sharing with you before we started recording. I believe it is one of the most thorough marketing books I've ever read. This goes into the buying process, into strategy, into psychology of your, your prospects in more depth and detail than any book on marketing I've ever read before. And rather than giving kind of general concepts and feel good ideas, this one goes into literally step by step by step by step. And it's something that anybody who is really, I want to say interested in marketing sales, but I'll I'll specify that even more and say anybody who's really interested in ethical marketing and ethical sales and really is coming to serve your clients for the right reasons this is this is an absolute must read book it is just and if you follow it i mean i was i was so blown away by how in depth this went through the process so i want to just start with that Kristen. why did you write this book it's it's so thorough it's such a wonderful roadmap why did you write it who and who are you writing it for well the first reason i wrote it is that i i've read as you can see from behind me <laughs> a lot of marketing and sales books uh, and business leadership books and so on. And the big frustration for me was there were one or two big ideas and then the rest of it was just examples of those few ideas. Mm. You couldn't walk away. And and when I used to do a lot of keynote speaking around the world, I would always ask people ahead of time, what do you want to get out of this? And I would actually interview people that were coming Um, And they all said the same thing. I want something I can take back to the office and put to work. So that was that was in my head for a long time. Number one. Number two, the real burning reason was that I was conducting interviews of customers. I would meet with the client, find out what they thought was important to the client, and then I would interview their customers. (laughs) And there was a big gap between what the company said and what the customers said. And I thought, this is a really big problem because that means every message is wrong. It means what you're saying is not resonating with these folks. And I've taken that a step further lately and talked about the mindset of the customer as they go into their buying process. And you can't guess. If you guess, you will 
guess wrong and you will lose because you're a seller, they're a buyer, your perspectives are different. Things you take for granted, they don't. They don't. So that's why I had to write this book. And I had to also teach people how to interview their customers because I had worked out this method, very simple phone interview, 30 minutes on the phone. You know, here's how you get them on the phone. Here's what you ask them, the open-ended questions and so on. I wanted a recipe. That's why I call it a roadmap. I wanted something that anybody, business owner, marketing person, whatever, could just get to work, take it back to the office and work on it. Why is it that companies and decision makers and companies are often so adamant about guessing the mindset of their buyers and their prospects? <laughs> That's a great question. It's our ego, of course. You know, we mm. think we know. And the problem is the minute you put on your seller hat, you have a completely different agenda than the customer, number one. And number two, you live, eat, sleep, and breathe your product or service. And you're no longer looking at it like someone who's just coming in for the first time and just seeing you and just getting into this and just starting their buying process. The mindset is completely different. Mm. And so what you say to them, what you offer to them, uh, what you think about them, you're going to be off base and you're, all of your marketing is not going to work. I don't care what channel, I don't care what methods you use, they'll all be off base. That's a big problem. There's something you just said there and the thought just, I just it kind of connected a couple dots in my mind about, I think so many of us, when we start to get into leadership, we forget the beginning, right? And then when you're saying the buyers are beginning the buying process yeah. and we're at this other end where we have the answer, have the solution, <laughs> but we forgot what the beginning even looked like. Yeah, yeah. And also, especially on the tech side, because I've worked in tech for decades and the big problem I find there is there are some things that are very difficult to do. Like I had a client who was very proud of their integration with QuickBooks. They were a um, software program that field engineering kinds of companies could use to run their business. And it was very difficult to streamline it with QuickBooks because QuickBooks is a convoluted program. And uh, they were really excited about that. So that, that's what they wanted to push. Well, I interviewed their customers and it turned out the thing that was so exciting to their customers was you would enter the data once, like at the beginning of your conversation with the customer, you'd put in their address or something. It would automatically populate everything else. So hmm. the invoicing and the field, for the field tech guys, here's the address and here's the map and all that stuff. That's what excited them because they were small business owners and all of us small business owners hate duplicate entry, drives us crazy. So that's when we repositioned the whole company. We gave them a new name that communicated that aspect and they took off and they ended up selling to Microsoft and the owner made a lot of money. Wow. That one change, that one understanding that that's what was important. So nothing else changed, nothing in the software, nothing in, it was just making that change. Wow. I want to, I want to read to you. Some, uh, something that you wrote in, this is from page 215 in Roadmap to Revenue. Too many top managers assume that all of their salespeople are selling. In truth, some have an attitude problem and spend most of their time unselling. In well-run organizations, usually there's one salesperson in 10 who falls into this category 
In poorly run organizations, the number can be as high as three or even five and 10. Can we expand on that a little bit? Because it's so fascinating, the idea that a salesperson whose job is to sell, get quota, they're probably getting paid largely in commission. They're actually going out of their, they're, they're doing a unselling. So what is unselling and what are these <laughs> salespeople doing that is leading to them unselling? Okay, so a salesperson, if they're good, they try to develop a relationship. And I also talk about that in my book, how buyers aren't really looking for relationships. They don't really want the car dealer showing up for dinner unannounced. Um, <laughs> they're not looking for friends. They're looking to solve a problem or buy something. So it's the seller who wants a relationship because he assumes that if he gets in with this person and they have this wonderful, you know, then this person's going to be more likely to pick them over the competition. So one of the ways they do that is they, they try to get friendly with the customer at the expense of the company. Mm. Now in a poorly run company, it's really bad because they'll come in and the person, the customer will say, well, what about this? You know, I really want this. And the, the sales guy will say, oh, you know, I've been telling them that for months now and they're just not doing it. I'll try again just for you, you know, but, and, and it communicates to the customer that management is stupid hmm. and they're making bad decisions and the salesman is smarter than, than the, the management. It's a complaining fest and sales is a very lonely job. All day long, you're trying to reach out to people, be friends with people, and all day long, you're getting no, 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 okay? So when you find somebody to talk to, there's a tendency, and salespeople are talkers, so they blurt. <laughs> and they, they talk about their life, and, you know, they commiserate. And sometimes the customer will say, oh, yeah, my boss does the same thing, and they start complaining about their bosses. So it's a little bit of this friend fest, and honestly, it's just a complete waste of time because it isn't the real reason that somebody's going to buy. And I have to say that the real reason people buy from within companies is to make a good decision so they don't get any black marks on their personal little whiteboard that hangs around their neck when they first start work. And every time you get a black mark, you make a mistake. It never gets erased. Everyone knows about it. And every time you go into a meeting, everybody in the room knows how, what everybody's black or whiteboard looks like. So it's fear of embarrassment. That's the mm. actual biggest driver for enterprise sales, especially, but even in small companies. And the fear of embarrassment specifically, is they're afraid of being embarrassed to the customer? Or they're afraid of being embarrassed to leadership? Yeah, the, the people who are buying are afraid that they're going to make a bad decision and it's going to filter down through the company and it's going to affect other people in the company. This is especially true buying software and tech things that affect everyone in the company. Hmm. You know, it's, it's a problem and you don't want to be the guy or the gal who made that bad decision because you no one will ever let you live it down. As you were, as you were, chatting in that idea of unselling two two specific memories popped up into my mind the first one was the last time i bought a car and it's <laughs> funny because as you were saying you were sharing i can i just had that conversation pop up where the salesperson at one of the dealerships was literally telling me about how the manager wasn't listening and they should have done this and should have done that <laughs> trying to be my friend and i remember thinking like this is seems really uncomfortable right now and like I don't feel good about even buying from here because yeah. if, if there's that kind of incongruency, 
organizationally? Yeah. Like what kind of services are going to be after I sign this over? Exactly. Exactly. That's a perfect example. And you're absolutely right. It creates yeah. doubts. And so it unsells you. Yep. I mean, I, I went to, my husband and I went to an interior designer once and uh, she spent most of the time gossiping about her clients. Oh, you know, she was showing her portfolio and said, well, we actually didn't do this because they got a divorce and it was very acrimonious and terrible. And so the whole job fell apart, but here's what I did, you know, and we're thinking, well, she's just going to talk about us once she, yeah. <laughs> she, you know, what's the, not that we had anything to hide, but it was very uncomfortable, yeah. you know, it's just like, oh, well, she's doing that there. She's going to do it over here. So that's another example of unselling. And yeah, I, I like that you mentioned that for the interior designer, because I think it might be worth mentioning too, that for people who are solopreneurs or have very small companies, and you don't necessarily have a dedicated sales team, but you are the sales representation of the product, how you approach and I, your interior designer, it reminds me of, I remember going scuba diving in Hawaii once, and we had planned to go diving three days in a row. And the very first day we get picked up by the dive master and he proceeds for the 20 minute drive through downtown Honolulu to where we're going to dive. Tell us about his domestic quarrels <laughs> and all these bizarre behaviors that are going on so much so that I look in the back seat at my friend, we're giving each other these eyes. And then when we finally get, he goes and he's getting the boat ready and we finally have a moment. I said, who, basically, who in the hell did you like, book us with here? Did you do zero <laughs> research? <laughs> yeah. And, and needless to say, for the next two days, we didn't dive with that guy again because it was so it was so strange and so bizarre. And what we came away from it with him is that, like this, you know, you don't feel safe, responsible as him as a dive leader taking us out in the ocean and places that. No, he's not trustworthy. He's yeah. not trustworthy. There's something really wrong. There's some emotional issues that are unresolved and are leading to big problems in his life, and you don't want to subject your life to that diving. You know, you don't know yeah. how he's going to behave. He make a make a very bad decision. You know, you don't want to be. You're putting your life in his hands. So let's look at let's look at your interior designer as an example, if you would. Of what could she have done differently that would have made her a much more effective representative salesperson that would have earned your business as a customer? Well, she just shouldn't have said a word about her other clients. Hmm. It, you. You, I mean, the smartest people in the world don't pay any attention to what people say. They watch how people behave. And that was very um, untrustworthy behavior. That was mm. the kind of behavior that made you feel or think less of that person. You know, gossip, the social media is filled with gossip. TV and, and everywhere else, just filled with gossip. People talking about other people all the time. And we've sort of gotten used to it. But I still think that when you're buying something, how that person talks about other people and how they show their work and who they are as they're going through that with you and how they interact with you, uh, even the offhand things that they say, a lot of salespeople can blow a whole sale by saying one offhand thing. And the person who's sitting there politely playing poker, not exhibiting their feelings, you know, because it's negotiating time, they'll say, oh, wow, that salesman just said something that will make me never want to do business with that company. Like they're not mm. paying their people or something. And, and you won't even give an indication of it 
and you'll shake hands with a person back in the days when we saw each other in person yeah. and, or virtually. And that person, the salesperson will go back to his boss and say, oh, I got that one in the bag. Everything was good. And the customer had already decided they'll never do business with this company. And they went right back to their computer and started looking for other options. Hmm. So it, it, this really is a very important serious game, not a game, but an interaction between human beings. And you really do have to have a good character and watch your manners and watch what's coming out of your mouth. You talked about in the book that there, there needs to be essentially more empathy and selling. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, it's a hard thing to say because, uh, and I say that because I love salespeople. I've done a lot of sales department turnarounds and managed a lot of salespeople in my time. And I'm a recovering salesperson myself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a part of that aggressive, outgoing, you know, chatty kind of personality that doesn't make you inherently a good listener. Hmm. Doesn't necessarily make you a good empathizer. Plus people put salespeople on a quota. And so now they're desperate. Now they have to, you know, meet that quota or they can't pay their bills and they're going to hurt their family or whatever. So it's a bad system. I actually recommend, and one of my clients has done a wonderful job of this. He's a logistics guy and he has, the salespeople are no longer there and he replaced them with customer service types. And their only goal is helping the customer make a good decision, make the right decision, get what they need. If they don't need this particular thing, okay, that's fine. They don't have a quota. And sales are going through the roof. They're huh. bigger this year than ever because of that. Because they're in sync with the customer's mindset. They don't want somebody pushing them. Nobody wants to be pushed. We don't want to sit there and, and worry that somebody's talking us into something that's going to put a big black mark on our whiteboard and we're going to regret it. So you want somebody that's helping you make a good decision. And those are the people, the people who empathize with your situation truly do and truly do care. They're the ones who get your business, even if it's not a perfect fit. They'll go out of their way to buy from someone like that. Kristen, can you talk about the jerk test? When we first met, <laughs> I, you gave me the jerk test within the first five minutes and explained it. And you talk about it in the book too. And I think it's such a cool, it's such a cool test and you've, you've implemented organizationally for your own business too. Tell us about the jerk test. Well, the problem is if I say this, then the jerks are going to find out what I'm doing and they'll try <laughs> to pass the test. So it's a little difficult for me, but I'll say it this way. I tell people sometime in an interview or whatever, that I don't work with jerks. Their reaction tells me if they think that's a great idea and they're, they're you know, they laugh and the jerks get offended. Hmm. The jerks cross their arms and think, why won't she do business with me? Beca and the difference is, here's the thing that really struck me when I finally caught on to this. Jerks know who they are. There are no baby jerks. No babies are jerks when they're born. None of them, ever. They could be unhappy. Maybe they're not getting their diaper changed often enough, but they're not jerks. It's something you decide. If you're going to be a jerk, you decide sometime in daycare or kindergarten when things get a little rough, or maybe you don't have such great parents, and you decide you're going to be a bully. Hmm. 
And so you go ahead and that's how you live your life. The nice people say, golly, I could fight back right now, but no, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do this the loving way, turn the other cheek, whatever you want to call it. And it's a conscious day-to-day -day decision to take the high road. And so the nice people know who they are because it's work, you know, life is hard. People are all around us trying to do things that make us uncomfortable or that we don't want. And we have to decide how we're going to deal with that. I want to shift gears for a minute, Chris, and talk about happiness. I think a lot of people engage in pursuits of success because at the core of that, there's a belief that if I do this, this, and this, then I'll be happy. You've had this incredible career. You've worked with some amazing organizations, some awesome people. What is, what is happiness to you? What is true happiness? What does that look like for you? I think if I were to give it one word, it would be peace. It would be mm. an inner sense of calm. It would be the knowledge that what you're doing is a good thing. You're trying to help people. And when given the choice, you always try to do the good and right thing. And you take care of yourself. It's okay to quote unquote, love yourself. And I don't mean like narcissism where, you know, it's all about you to the expense of others. But I mean, just paying attention to what's going on with you, what you need right now. Like maybe I need at five o'clock, I just, my brain runs out. I've got to lay down for a minute. Maybe it's that kind of thing. Or I don't really want to talk to that person again because they always bring me down and you have to say to yourself, then I have to make a decision. I shouldn't be with that person. Or you're with your husband or wife and they want something very badly and you don't care as much. Let them have it. Leave the toilet seat up. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, what's the big deal? It's just giving that little bit of caring for the other person, caring for yourself. And I got to tell you, I mean, I've been happily married. My husband and I are more in love than ever. And we're together 24 seven. And we just, we are each other's best friend. We're still in love. It's still wonderful. We laugh a lot. We trust each other. And, you know, we've taken care of each other through all thick and thin, everything that's happened, we're there for each other all the time. And that's, that gets pretty happy. That's mm. really nice, but you can be happy even by yourself with that inner peace. Can we talk about when you and I first met, you had shared with me that you and your husband have a no arguing rule, <laughs> which I think sounds absolutely incredible. And I, and I imagine most people probably when they fall in love and they decide to be in a relationship with someone, they romanticize the idea that, oh, we'll never argue, we'll never, and then reality sets in. So I'm wondering how how do you how do the two of you come about establishing that and if there ever is conflict disagreement how do you the two of you negotiate that I have to give my husband full credit for that because I am a very stubborn person very determined person and I carried a lot of baggage with me from my childhood and stuff and I would get sort of twisted in a knot about a certain thing or something he said. He's very blunt. And sometimes in a situation, he would just say something that would <laughs> just cut me to the core. 
And it's one of the reasons I married him. I liked somebody telling me things that I could then improve, but there, there are times when you just <laughs> don't want to hear it. So I would get upset and I'd kind of sulk and then I'd come back and do that sort of PMS arguing, nothing solves my problem kind of thing. Yep. And one day he just looked at me and said, I'm going to refuse to argue with you. I'm, you know, and he, so he started it. And mm the less traction I had in that sort of, I mean, he just wasn't going to do it. And that's what changed things. I finally started realizing that this whole argument thing was just some kind of weird thing that we learn how to do and we shouldn't do it. There's no reason for it. If you really love each other, you have to have faith that you're going to work it out. Hmm. And then you find a way to work it out and you do it calmly and lovingly and you just talk about your options and what what could we do how could i you know give up 90 percent of my living room because you're an inventor and you want to you don't have you need a, a warm place to mix your epoxy okay fine the living room's fine you know it's like the toilet seat it's like it's no big deal yeah. it's just no big deal and then you have this safe place for somebody to live where everything's okay so yeah, it, it works. And it really did change our marriage. We had a good basis, but he was the one that actually made that flip that switch and changed everything. I love that. And it, and it sounds like there becomes a value shift of valuing safety over being right or, or being- Oh God, yes, that's so well put. Right? It's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting too, because I feel like with in relationships, a lot of the times when we argue, it's there's this small part about the actual problem. And then, <laughs> and then what we yeah. really end up arguing is we have to defend because the person who feels hurt or scared or vulnerable, yeah. not understood, not loved in that moment, uh, they often feel then that they need to bring in past stuff or other things to kind of fuel how they're feeling. To, to oh yeah, that, that's so typical. Right, women, to rationalize Women are really bad at that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what <laughs> right? about last week when you did such and such? Yeah, yeah. Like, well, what, what are you a, talking about? What about a few years ago when this yeah. happened? Or, <laughs> hey, well, you, remember, you remember back five years and 18 months ago? Yeah. What were you doing on that day? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And the other person's like, what? Excuse yeah. me, I thought we were arguing about this and now it's that. Yeah. 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 Huh. Just a I waste. I absolutely love that. For folks who are, who, I'm in, I'm really curious, Kristen, I'm kind of forming this question as I ask it. So you can, you can help. I think you'll get the sense of what I'm asking. You can fill in the blanks where it makes sense for you. For folks who are in that space right now where they are in, in pursuit of the career success, and they are wanting at the base of that, they are wanting the happiness piece of it. Is there any kind of general advice that you might share with them, give to them to help them hone in on what that happiness piece can be for them? Yeah, there's actually a really simple exercise. Years and years ago, I was a headhunter in Silicon Valley and there was this book called What Color Is My Parachute? I think that's where I got this. But one of the exercises they had was you write down everything that's ever satisfied you. Not things your parents or spouses or anybody said that sat, you know, where they patted you on the back, but the thing that made you feel, wow, I'm glad I did that. Oh, that was, I was in the zone. It was so good. I felt so good afterwards. You write it down. And I'm not sure if he said this in the book, but since then I've, I've asked people to do this because it does work. 
you write it down and then you walk away and mm. 24 hours later you come back and you look at it and you say to yourself what is this telling me what's the big message here now in my case i realized that i live to help other people realize their dreams that's what gets me up in the morning i don't care if they work for me or their clients I want to help other people realize their dreams. And I thought, oh, I could be a social worker. And I thought, no, I couldn't. I'm too entrepreneurial for that. So then I started moving into this whole marketing thing and I was in the tech business and there were all these engineers who couldn't sell their way out of a wet paper bag and they needed help. <laughs> you know, they had this wonderful invention and no idea about marketing. And so that's really what took me off where I am today. And I, every day I love coming to work because that's what I'm doing every single day. So you look for the theme and then you look around for someone who needs help in that area and how you can provide a service or a product that would solve that problem or help that person. And that's where you find it and you end up with a career where every single day you just love what you're doing and it's all fulfilling and everything works. Kristen, before I ask my final question, where can people find you online? So zhivagopartners.com is our website. I have a blog in there, a lot of podcasts that I do as well. Um, you can just Google Kristen Zhivago and the whole first page is just, you know, all this stuff. I'm on social and everything else. Um, I also have a website that I'm just writing for fun uh, to help people, which is called Kristen's Wisdom. No. Uh, um, punctuation, of course, but kristenswisdom.com. And I'm really trying to go after the 20 and 30 somethings and maybe even the 40 somethings and trying to download some of this wisdom, this big picture wisdom that I've gotten over all these years the hard way and just hopefully make it easier for them to understand what's going on, what they can do about it, how they can be happier, and so on. Kristen, this has been such a joy, and I feel like the more we talk, the more questions I have, and I want to be respectful of time. So for my final question, you and I were chatting a bit before we started recording today, and you said something to the effect of business is really all about loving people more or caring more about people. And I think that is such a beautiful way to view it, especially when you're coming from a place really, as you were saying before about the happiness, finding something to help solve a legitimate problem people are dealing with. Can you just expand on that a little bit more? And so people can kind of have, because I, I, if, unfortunately I feel like that is often one of the things that is least focused on and many businesses may start it. They have their core values on the wall and then all of a sudden they start to grow and profits become more of a focus and you go and ask leadership, what are your core values? And they can't even remember what they were or why you got into it. And it goes back to that beginning piece, right? In the first place. Yeah. And I think that if people got more centered in that and stayed centered in it throughout their growth, it would be really, really transformative and for how we, how we interact, how we do business with one another. So maybe you can just expand on that for a little bit to close this out. Well, and again, this comes down to the peace in, in life where you realize that it's all about loving. It's loving your spouse. It's loving your parents. It's loving your children. And loving is really paying attention because that's there's a lot of that now where parents are sort of, you know, doing their phones and the kids sitting there going, 
hello, yeah, um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm your yeah. kid. Um, and we've kind of lost sight of that. We've, we've gotten sucked into this digital world and I've been in digital for years. I get it. I love it. But when it takes us away from paying attention to the people that matter the most, that's a problem. So it's paying attention and then, <clears throat> excuse me, it's taking responsibility. That's what love really is. It's taking responsibility for not so much the other person's happiness because you can't make somebody happy, but you can say, okay, well, this, is, this works better for them. Let's see if we can make that happen. You know, what's important to that person? What, what can we do? Um, my husband's coming out of lung cancer and he can't swallow very well. So I make pureed meals all the time. And it's a lot of work but it's worth every bit of time I put into it because he doesn't choke on his food. <laughs> you know, <laughs> these are like simple things. Yeah. Business is really truly about taking care of other people, the people who work for you and the people that you're, you're selling to that you want to solve their problems and help them out. The money part is necessary. You have to stay in business, but it's just a way of keeping score. It's just a way of saying it's a metric. How are we growing? Do we have enough cash, you know, to get through the, the rough periods and so on? It's a, but again, it's taking responsibility and taking all this stuff seriously and taking it on and saying, okay, I'm going to be responsible for that. I love that. Everyone, my goodness, is this going to be one you want to rewatch and re-listen to? Whether you are in sales, whether you are in business, whether you are wanting to improve your relationships with other people, Kristen truly shared a plethora of wisdom. And you can imagine what her, her Kristen's wisdom's writings may be if it's just a, this is a tiny glimpse into what's inside of her and what she has to share. She's pulling from a vast range of experience and going through what it really means to sell and the idea of unselling and how many, so many of us are unselling. I love she has the jerk test and laid it out in kind of a very clever way for us to get a glimpse of what it's like, but not fully divulge her secret. And looking at the idea of how we can care more about other people. She walked us through the difference, the way her the interior designer could have earned her business and exactly what they did to not earn the business. And it really helped me connect a couple dots and specific examples in my life where I had people who were trying to sell to me and they were quickly trying to befriend me and doing the thing that they shouldn't have been doing which ultimately led to me not buying business. Roadmap to revenue. I, I cannot say this enough that if you are in any sort of sales or marketing, this is by far and away one of the most complete books, if not the most complete book I've ever read on that. And it goes from kind of theories and feel goody ideas to literally there is a step by step by step. And I, what I appreciate so much about Kristen and how she wrote this book is she's very clear from the beginning that this is not a you're gonna wake up and it's gonna be poof magic that implementing this requires work. And I think that that kind of transparency is so refreshing in an author because then you go into it knowing what to expect, but it's laid out literally step by step by step. And a lot of people will say, I'm gonna give you my step by step system and it's vagaries. This is about as specific as you can possibly be in a step by step system. And I think that anybody who's in marketing, sales, it's going to be something that you must read to add to your arsenal of really understanding your customers. Going back to the beginning, 
I love that we, we had that in there about understanding that those of us who are in business and leadership, oftentimes we forget what our, it was like in the very beginning and that we need to understand our customers and what they really want so that we can sell to them that way. And last but not least, happiness. You know, we are in a very interesting time in the world right now as Chris and I record this to end of October and happiness, I think, is on people's hearts and minds more than normal. And in America, especially, we've gotten to be a culture where we try to commoditize and consume happiness. And I love it came down to one simple word of peace. And maybe that's something we can take away from today is, is as a first step is how can I create more peace in my business? How can I create more peace in my life and my relationships? And if you're really bold, speaking of relationships, consider a do not argue rule and see what happens there. Kristen, this has been such an incredible conversation. What an honor it has been to share this time with you. Thank you so very much. Same here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We will see you next time, everybody, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to them.